Associates, have you ever wondered what the best practice is to treat clients with MS? Listen on as our neurologically interested EP, Holly, is going to talk about her experience with working with clients with MS, her exercise prescription skills, the management of it, how she fits into the model with other allied health, and some things to watch out for. A really good podcast coming up, great tips and tools that you can take away starting in your practice tomorrow. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Body Track Academy, created by EPs for EPs. We'll cover all things clinical, business and personal growth to help you and the exercise physiology industry reach its potential. If you enjoyed this episode and find something useful, you know what to do. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a review and tell your friends to check it out. If you haven't already joined the Body Track Academy on Facebook, look us up, join our community of exercise physiologists and access more great content. Welcome back to another episode of the Body Track Academy podcast. I'm your host today, Dan Hearth, and I'm joined today by our neurological interested exercise physiologist, <laughs> Holly Hitchner. Hello, Holly. How are you? Hello, Dan. I'm good. Thank you. That's good. All right. What are we going to be talking about today, Holly? So um, today on the podcast, I wanted to chat a little bit about um, multiple sclerosis, so MS, and um, I guess, what is it? Um, What are the symptoms? What sort of things do we as exercise physiologists do to support people living with MS? Um, And then maybe like some general, general ideas around exercise prescription for this population. Wonderful. All right. Well, without further ado, let's start with the the bare basics. Um, What is MS. Now, I know there's some different forms of MS. Am I correct? Yes, you are correct. So, there are four different types of MS. Um, So, essentially, multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune disease that affects the myelination of the axons and the nerves um, within the body. So, we know that um, we refer to these things as lesions in MS. Mm -hmm. Um, And you might hear that when you're talking to someone who works in that area or someone who has it or knows someone who has it. Um, they refer to these as lesions. Um, yeah. And essentially there are four different types. They result in a number of different symptoms and over time it may be a progressive, um, in different ways. So the most common form of MS is the relapse remitting MS. So that's, um, uh, I think 85% of the, of people diagnosed with MS are diagnosed with relapse remitting. Yeah. Um, so it is the most common form and it's generally what happens in that population is, um, someone will have a period of time where they are relapsing, Mm -hmm. um, where there may be symptoms that are present from new lesions. Um, and then there will be a period of time where they are in the remitting phase. Mm -hmm. Um, and generally when we're looking at, um, the progression of the disease over time with, uh, relapse remitting, what we see is that the person never really returns to the pre-relapse phase okay. or their, their physical capacity at that right. pre-relapse phase. So essentially what we see is like a, a, a peak and yep. then a drop and then that peak in function doesn't really get back up to that same level. And right. Drop. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Does that, uh, let's just talk about that for a little bit. Mm. When you're seeing clients who have that relapse remitting MS. Yes. 
when they're in their drop, is that when, like, do you, can you distinguish in the remitting phase? In the remitting phase mm-hmm. Yes. Is that, can, can you distinguish that quite clearly? And is that when exercise can be most beneficial for this population? Uh, yes and no. Like I, I really feel like, um, exercise should be something that they are, that this person is doing for Mm. that whole time. Um, it may be that their symptoms are more severe or Mm -hmm. they're, um, unable to do as much exercise during that phase. And that's actually something I'll talk a little bit about as well, um, later on. But during that phase, they, some can still exercise and it's not, advised against not to exercise they should be exercising um but obviously it's a bit more challenging maybe due to fatigue or um, motivation or general other reasons as well yeah um so yeah it's it's someone should be exercising throughout that whole time Mm -hmm. um just like we would recommend with any healthy population person um but yeah they might be feeling more able and better to exercise in their phase where then they haven't had a relapse sort of thing yeah. Right. And is there yeah. a p- particular time point of relapse remitting as well? Like, does it follow a pattern or can it just be varied? No, it doesn't yeah. follow a pattern. And for everyone, it's very individual. So, okay. yeah. um, I, I know that there are some people that their relapse may, so they, they might have, so often what happens when people are diagnosed is they will, that's the first relapse as such. When there's a symptom that prog- that presents or a number of symptoms that may have progressed over a six month period. So they might've noticed they've been a bit more tired. Um, they might've noticed a bit of like tingling in their fingers or some numbness or something Mm. like that. Um, sometimes that might even prompt them to go, okay, maybe I want to see my doctor because I've had some, maybe I have some nerve, uh, nerve impingement, you know, something like that. Um, more commonly what we sometimes see is that, um, people are diagnosed after a more severe or a more obvious, um, symptoms. So right. a popular one or not popular, but a more common one is optic neuritis, okay. um, which is where someone will go blind for, or have issues with their vision for a period of time. Right. Um, okay. and that obviously is quite scary. Yeah. Um, and you wouldn't just ignore that. So someone will be further investigated, mm. um, for that. And then if they are diagnosed with MS, um, then that is that first period or yeah, relapse. Yeah, and yeah. then from there, they might not really have any symptoms for a long time or their symptoms mm-hmm. might be really managed, well managed. It might be that they haven't had any noticeable changes apart from maybe some fatigue or something like that for the first two years. And then they might have another relapse or it might even be seven years. I know someone that hasn't had a relapse for 10 years. Wow. Okay. Um, and yeah. we know that we know that the medication and management strategies are a lot better mm. than they have been. And there's some really good, um, I guess, disease modification drugs that are available now yes. um, yeah. to, to support that. So it is, it is a uh, very varied <laughs> to right. get to the bottom of that yeah. simple, probably question. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Um, yeah. I didn't know there would be so much variance as well. Um, mm between, you know, relapse and remitting and, and particularly years, I thought it may have yeah. been something that was a bit more frequent. So, yeah, um, yeah interesting to, to learn about that. Yeah. Um, you said there were four types. What was the other other common uh, types of MS that um, that can, can occur for? Oh, you're going to test my, uh. my um, <laughs> memory with this. I know that there is um, progressive, then there's... Oh, 
I can't remember the exact the exact names of them. I can come back mm. to that. But um, yeah, generally, I th- I, it generally is just um, in terms of like how aggressive their MS is. Okay. Yeah. Um, whether it's they're constantly progressing. I can picture the lines in my head for the, from the graphs. Yeah. Um, or whether there there is actually a type as well where they. Um, they will have a relapse as such, um, but they will constantly return. To, they will be able to return to the same level. Mm-hmm. It's just like an increase in symptoms, but it's not progressive. Right. Yep. Um, and then there's others where it is quite aggressive and um, they are constantly mm. progressing in yeah. terms of their... their quite varied. Yeah. Yeah. But I think for the, the point of today, yep. today's podcast and for learning purposes, a lot of the time it is around yeah. that relapse remitting um, and, uh, getting back to some more like stats around it as well. Um, we do know that women are, I think it's three quarters of the people diagnosed with MS are women. Wow. Um, and most commonly between the ages of 20 and 40. So we're seeing this in young populations, um, you know, people that, um, I actually know someone, uh, that has been diagnosed outside of my work, um, who I used to play soccer with and she was a part of the management team and the coaching and I played with her on teams and, Mm. um, she's like 30 something. Um, and yeah, she's been diagnosed. So it's, it's not, yeah, I think it's one of those ones that we kind of forget about a little bit sometimes unless you have someone close to you, but it is something that's, yeah, that's definitely, um, yeah, there in those younger age groups. Mm. Yeah. And I think like, especially for us as as exercise physiologists, we, we tend to see a lot of chronic condition formation mm. later in life. So we're yeah. seeing it in that geriatric population, yeah, exactly. yet this is occurring as young as 20. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's just the average there and is. that's in younger than that. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, definitely something that, you know, we feel as exercise physiologists can have a, have a big impact on. Yeah. Um, exactly. before we talk into that a little bit, let's talk about some symptoms. What yeah. do you tend to notice? And two questions here, I guess, is um, there's probably been occasions for you where uh, majority of the time there would have been a, a patient, refer, a client referred to you with MS mm. and it's being diagnosed. But is there anything where you can, like, is there anything where there's symptoms around a potential MS and it's gone undiagnosed in clients that you've seen or can that can that occur where yeah. you're seeing symptoms in a physical form mm. and going this needs to be further investigated so yeah I guess I'm I have a hyper awareness of those things yeah, so maybe definitely. I am probably a bit more mindful of that when people do mention things like being really fatigued or mm. um the numbness tingling like those sort of things but yep. uh I mean like it's like anything it's like any chronic disease that we're very, as health professionals, we should be very aware of all of those yeah, things. Yeah, going through your flag, your yeah, yellow, orange, exactly. red. Yeah. Um, it's the same with cancer. It's the same with type 2 diabetes. Correct, like yeah. it's, it's like any of those things that I think it's important to be aware of, but also not to scare your patients. Um, yeah, yep. But being in good communication with other allied health and um, their medical team, their GP, etc., is important mm. for that. Yep. There's no harm in writing a letter about things that you may have noticed. For so, sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and any, 
symptoms like any further symptoms that um, you, you haven't covered yet apart from fatigue or that numbness yeah, and tingling? So there's, that, there's a yeah. very wide variety of symptoms with mm-hmm. MS and that's one of the things probably a little bit challenging um, for a number of different reasons um, when it comes to exercise as well, but also just with general day-to-day living for people living with MS. Um, uh, So muscle weakness, fatigue, um, muscle, uh, sorry, numbness, tingling, um, changes in sensation, Mm. balance as a result of that, um, gait changes. There's also um, like some really specific ones, um, things like the MS hug, which is a change. It's, this is the term, the MS hug, but Mm. um, it's essentially a change in the, I guess, like sensation or the function of the intercostal um, oh, nerves. Okay. Right. And yeah. it results in like a bit of a squeezing sensation uh, for, for those people that have that symptom. So yep. um, it's like a tightness around their rib cage right. sort of thing, like a okay. hug. Yeah. yeah, like a hug. So yeah, yeah that's, mm. that's something that um, I personally haven't actually worked with anyone that has had that symptom, but it's something that you, you'll often when you're doing like courses and things like that, they'll often talk about that symptom. Um, And then there's other things as well. So um, like a spasticity, um, I know I've mentioned fatigue, but it's probably the biggest one. There's Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. difficulties with temperature um, as well. So heat is probably one of the big, more common ones. Um, And that's something to be mindful of with exercise as well. Yep. Um, And something we have to consider management of. Um, But they're probably like the ones that you primarily see. Um, Sometimes you'll see tremor. Sometimes you'll see loss of muscle tone. And and these are the things that we Mm. um, are probably more aware of with the being an exercise physical therapy sort of focus. Yeah. Focus point. For sure. Yeah. It's very interesting. And like uh, quite a lot of symptoms I'm just going through at the moment in my head as well, Mm. like how it can cross over with other conditions as well. So, you know, as you said before, as exercise physiologists, we should be that sort of hyper awareness and going through our protocols of uh, what needs to be further investigated and having that good relationship with um, specialists or referrers or GPs, et cetera, to have a, you know, and and, and allied health as well, to have that collaboration for client-centered care. Yeah. There is a couple of other symptoms popped into my head as we yeah. go, but things mm. like um, like dizziness and also pain is a, is actually quite a big yeah. one as well. Yeah, so for sure. Good to know. All right. Um, let's talk about your experience of being an exercise physiologist, working with clients who have MS. Mm. Um, and how have you found exercise to be beneficial for them? Why should they be embarking upon mm. it? Yeah, so I, I'm a really, obvi- obviously, as an EP, a big advocate for exercise um, as a form of, and I kind of touched on this a little bit in the Parkinson's chat as well, um, but it can be really empowering. It can be something that someone actually has a little bit of control over. So Definitely. I think being yeah. able to foster and encourage that is a big part of why someone should be exercising and that's more from a a feeling good mental health side of things which is obviously Mm. um a a big part of having a chronic condition as well but um in terms of you know why should someone be exercising with ms there are a lot of different benefits to it and um there is a lot that we can touch on and it might be worth doing a particular podcast on um like the actual 
neuroprotective benefits of it. Yeah. Um, the fact that exercise mm. can be an anti-inflammatory and MS is an inflammatory disease um, in terms of progression, in terms of like there's a lot of theories around you know, why doesn't someone with relapse remitting get back to that remitting fa- that to that pre-relapse phase? Is it mm. because they're not as active and they have lost muscle tone and yeah. they've lost cardiovascular fitness and they haven't been walking like they have or yeah. um, those sort of things as well? So, I we know that with exercise uh, with people who have MS, there is actually eighty so eighty percent of that population um, isn't meeting the physical activity guidelines, yeah. and yeah. that in itself is just yeah. crazy like quite a high number yeah and yeah. when you look at the the disease itself it's obviously you can understand well i mean you can sort of see why someone with ms may not be willing to or wanting to or have the energy and motivation to exercise yeah. but there are so many benefits from mm. just the general health perspective of reducing your risk of developing comorbidities of having muscle mass and and cardiovascular yeah. health and all of those things that make a big difference to your overall health and well-being. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I guess from my perspective, just doing some exercise, no matter what, is going to have some benefit. So yep. I think in that population or for people with MS, as EPs, I really feel like we should be advocating that um, because we know the benefits it can have yep. um, and we can help people to be able to feel like they are able to exercise. Yeah. That, yeah. that ownership of and, mm. and control, yeah. in, particularly in that population. I've seen you with your clients who have MS um, and the joy that they're having during their sessions. Yeah. It's almost like exercise is somewhat secondary in some, in some cases. Because yeah, absolutely. Yes, they're getting mastery of an exercise mm. uh, and that's that form of control. But the other part too is the general well-being improvement that they've yeah, had as well. Exactly. Yeah. Is there anything that you use in order to to gauge that? So is there anything like um, questionnaires that you refer to, or is it more subjective from the client? Yeah. So obviously there is an element of that in in any uh, chronic condition that you're seeing, but um, I think questionnaires are a very effective way of being able to monitor maybe fatigue mm-hmm. um quality of life there's a bunch of quality of life assessments that you can yeah. do um like the fatigue severity scales a really simple one yep. there are some ms specific quality of life ones as well that you can okay. utilize um to actually have some outcome measures associated yeah. with that and it can be really good to just do those in an initial assessment because sometimes you know um when you're meeting someone or you're having a health appointment if you think of it from the patient perspective, um, there's so many things that you want them to know and so many things that they discuss and so many Correct, questions yeah. and things. It can be pretty overwhelming. All so jam back into an hour. Yeah, yep. exactly. And it's full on. <laughs> or 30 even, 30 yeah, minutes. Yeah. So um, by, by doing those questionnaires, um, they can actually give that person a little bit more of an opportunity to be able to maybe think of things that they didn't actually weren't going to mention, like yeah. maybe they have difficult with difficulty with sleep or, you know, um, their mental health is, is more of an issue than it was in the past. Maybe they're having difficulty with just having the energy to pick up their kids from school, you know, mm. like things that yeah. they haven't really thought of, but yeah, it can prompt that. Prompt yeah. Them to prompted think of it. in the yeah. end in Correct. the questionnaires. And they're a great way to be able to say like, look, 12 months ago, yeah, your fatigue definitely. levels were rated five out of seven on all of these categories. Mm. And now 
you've got a few threes in there, you know, like yeah, it's, it's, it's dropped. It's, yeah. 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 So sure. I think, um, I guess that feeds good. back into their empowerment again, doesn't it? Yeah. Because then they're seeing that it is effective and they're going, um, you know, they, they might, they might along the journey get lost in the mm. form of why am I exercising? But exactly. it can be re- reassured yeah. with that, that kind of assessment that you, that you do. Absolutely. Um, Let's go into the assessment room, I guess. So a, a client comes in with MS. Just briefly outline um, a, a little bit more detail about how you might go about that. So you've sort of spoken about your subjective um, subjective analysis that you might do and using those mm-hmm. questionnaires. Um, is there anything further to it that you've done that is physical testing or anything that, is, that, that for a baseline measure that you've used to then retest later or...? Yeah, so they are a, a really wide variety and with with seeing someone with MS, like you might be seeing them and they, they don't actually have a lot of really severe mm. symptoms, you know, like I have plenty of um, people that I've met with MS that, uh, you know, I might have mentioned in passing to another practitioner, oh, like my client's done really well. He's got MS. He's, he's progressed in this. And they would say like, oh, he has MS. Yeah. Like, so it's sort of like you don't even know. Yeah. It. Like yeah, you, you sure. wouldn't have any idea. Mm. So I think that's good to remember as well when you're doing your objective measures. Like mm. because someone has a chronic condition, it doesn't mean that there's 10 go to this is what to do assessments. Yep. Like yep. you need to make sure that you do a really thorough subjective assessment make sure that you're really trying to get some good goals. I mm. think goal setting is so, so important with the neuro population um, and making sure they're smart. Like I know that that sounds really simple, but, mm. and we learn about smart goals and we're all like, oh, smart goals, but <laughs> it's so good um, to actually really spend some good time on that because yeah. it's easy to say we only have half, uh, our assessment. We need to do the physicals, but if you don't really know what they want to work on, how are you going to That's right. help them yep. to be able to get any benefit and they might think oh all she wants me to do is improve my leg strength but that's not what I'm here for you know so Correct. Yeah. I think um mm. actually spending some good quality time in that assessment and maybe even after um working on your subjective assessment getting a good medical history doing some goal setting and then your objective measures really follow from that so yeah they might have noticed that they're having a bit of muscle weakness in one of their arms and um their dexterity and fine motor skills are struggling. So you might do some assessments for that. You might test their grip strength. You might um, do some dexterity assessments like a, a 10 bean or something like that. You might do a writing test. Yes. Um, and that's very specific. But then there's also those other assessments like I've often used the AXIT. We have some really cool equipment here at Body yep. Track. We're very lucky to have this, but it's um, essentially like numbers to a force plate or to a manual muscle testing Mm. um and i often use that as well because we know that muscle weakness is a big symptom for people with ms and um if they're going to be exercising we want to make sure that we know where maybe those weaknesses are to Mm. select some exercises that are best for them um and that's yeah can be super effective as well so manual muscle testing is also a great way to be able to yeah. see if, if someone have, does. Yeah, yeah, if you don't have sure, the equipment, the like yep. we're lucky to have that. But I've used manual muscle testing in the past and that might be um, relevant with, mm. with the client you're seeing. Another really popular, or sorry, not popular, but another really common <laughs> symptom um, sometimes in those earlier phases is things like foot drop. So even yes, yeah. being able to test manual muscle testing in that like um, uh, dorsiflexion, 
plantar flex, uh, two band strength sort yeah, of thing correct. Yep. is going to be effective. So I know that there are some really good objective measures that might be a bit more specific to MS, but mm-hmm. really I think for the point of this today, it's just important to make sure that you're listening to your client. You choose the assessments that are relevant mm. to their goals. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what I, th- I think a lot of people can get caught up with. Is yeah. I know I did when I first started. Yeah. Like you think, oh, this client has MS. There has to be a battery of tests mm. that I have to do for this, this population yeah. and this disease, this chronic, chronic um, condition. But it's not the case. And, yeah. and that's what you learn over the time as an exercise physiologist. It's not the top five go-to mm. assessments exactly. for, for that population. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that they're, they're, you know, it's the same debate about you don't call someone who has diabetes a diabetic. You no. call them someone, a client with type 2 diabetes. Yeah. It's the same, per, same thing with neurological conditions. In exactly. this case, MS. It's not someone it's someone who has ms yeah. it's not and um, like i know that yeah, there's doesn't some... define their their life That's yeah the exactly yeah. and ms is something that people live an awesome life with yeah you know? like yeah. there's i know that it's it's for some it's different but there are a lot of people out there that can live a really good life with ms and i think it's important to make sure that if you have someone that's really newly diagnosed mm. you might be the first person to say no you know what like you can do these things. Yeah. There's no reason that you can't. Yeah. And I think that empowering them and making sure that they know that in that first session, you might do barely any assessment in the first yeah. session. And yeah, that's okay. Sure. Like, I think that making sure you are using motivational interviewing skills, using your subjective questioning, making sure that you're understanding what they want and mm. where they're at. Like, are they in the phase where they're like, no way can I exercise? Like really yeah. pre-contemplation phase? Or yeah. are they like, no, I'm ready to be here. I'm ready to start exercising. I want you to give me a home program or I want to join a group class, you know, Mm. like um, making sure you're understanding that is the most important. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, I mentioned before about referrers and your relationship with them. Mm. Um, uh, Let's just talk about the importance of that for for this particular uh, condition. Um, Neurologists, I'm assuming, is one of the big communication touch points that you might have. Mm, yeah. um, are you reporting back on, you know, those test retests um, uh, or those objective or subjective test retest measures that we were talking about before? Yeah. Um, is there, it's probably going to be varied bet- between each client, but is there a certain um, thing that we should be reporting back on if we see an increase in symptoms, like any experiences that you've had with your clients where, you go, yep, this needs to be further communicated. What, yeah. what kind of triggers uh, I guess, are there for um, communication? I guess in terms of like more regular communication, in terms of emails and phone calls and things like that, it's probably more often done with um, like physios. Neurophysios are great to have as part of the allied health team. Um, also OTs, dietitians, that sort of thing. So I think regular communication and maybe like – you know, if you might, you might've seen your client come in on the Wednesday and you know, they're seeing their physio for a session, a three month checkup on the Friday, for example, mm. you might give them a, a call and say like, Oh, you know, I've noticed that Tim's been getting a little bit more, um, a few more symptoms and, and he's been reporting like more frequently, the numbness is giving him an issue in his hip, you know, like is, and making sure you're communicating that to the physio so that yep. they know, I think in terms of the neurologists, people with um, 
people often, uh, I guess, see their neurologist every, it might be six months, but it's more often 12 months. Okay. So yep. those reports are so good to do, like mm. absolutely do them because I think it gives them a good idea of like, if anything, what are they doing with the exercise physiologist? You know, yes. like yeah. what have you been working on? Talk about the progressions that you've had. If there is notable points of changes in their symptoms or they have, um, you know, you might've done like a reassessment at the three, six, nine month yep. marks yep. and you've um, done some quality of life measures and you're worried about their mental health. Like, you know, those sort mm. of things, it's all good to put in that information and a, a report to a neurologist should be, Exactly that. Tell yeah. them what you've been working on. Tell them what they've done and what the changes of their objective measures are. Um, and if there's anything in particular that you've noteworthy things to mm. to bring up sort of thing, like it, like any sort of communication with a health professional. Yep. Because like with the um, the assessment session that you have with the session, the person when you first meet them, yep. a neurology appointment's the same, you know, like you might have half an hour with your neurologist and yeah. you've got a thousand a things you want to ask and yeah, you want to yeah. talk about medications and things like that. So you might not even mention the exercising, yeah, but for sure, you know, yeah. the, hopefully the neurologists know the neurological benefits that exercise has for that population and they might really want to know that they're mm. exercising. So, mm. um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And just my final question you mentioned neurophysiotherapist before. Mm. What do you think between exercise physiology and neurophysiotherapist, the degree of separation is? Are we the mm. ones, uh, do, you, do you have neurophysiotherapists doing quite a lot of the exercise sessions as well with some clients that you've had or how does that relationship yeah. work? Uh, look, there's a lot of variety and I, I have a few neurophysios that I've worked with just in collaboration with a lot of my clients and I really find that they're excellent to have in the team. Um, I I know the main difference for us is that we're probably seeing them a little bit more often. Yeah. So we see the client mm -hmm. maybe once or twice a week um, or pretend, you know, it might be different, but let's just say generally. generally. Yeah. Um, and they might see the patient to start with, you know, they might see them once or once a fortnight or once a week for the first six, 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. And then they might move into like a monthly or two monthly, three monthly checkup. Yeah. Um, but they're really working a lot of the time on like management of pain. Mm -hmm. um, they might be working on some functional tasks, like teaching someone the rolling technique that they need to use or okay. how they're going to yeah. calm their spasticity or um, it, it depends. Like there, there are a lot of things that, and I'm probably speaking a little bit more broadly across a number of different neuro conditions when I yeah. Talk about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, yeah, for us, it's really about like in terms of how much exercise are they doing? Are they yep. meeting the guidelines? Um, are they doing the right exercise for their condition? Yep. Um, mm. You know, are we helping them to manage their symptoms? All yeah. of these different things. Um, it goes yeah. back to, I guess, what you were saying before about the empowerment and the well-being that they're getting. Yeah, from seeing absolutely. Um, and that's someone, a part of someone routinely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's a part of the neuro session, neurophysio sessions as well. Like that's obviously a big part of if the outcomes are effective. Welcome to the power of live recording. Uh, glitches happen in podcast recording, but anyway, we're back, <laughs> we're back and we're going to get back into what we're talking about, the difference between neurophysio and exercise physiology and the management of MS. So um, Holly, we're talking about a little bit about empowerment there and what, what 
I guess, benefits that from exercise. And that mm. happens, of course, in the neurophysio sessions as well. Yeah. Uh, but was there any final kind of points you had about that difference? Yeah, well? look, I think the final point to take home from like the difference with neurophysio and exercise physiology, and I, the, it, it is across the board with a lot of different neuro conditions, is that we really do have a role to play in the management of these conditions. And I mm. think historically um, we've been really... Uh, I guess, protective and worried about exercise for people that have these neuro conditions. But we know with research now that these people need to work hard. Definitely. They need to be exercising. Yep. Um, it needs to be regular. It needs to be of a good intensity. We know, like we've we've done the study, we've done the, the work. We know what to um, do to help these people and mm. we really have a big role to play. So I think um, – Globally and, and broadly, there's a place for every single profession and yep. working as a team is so, so important. And I am a huge advocate for that. I love it when I have a team yeah. to help that patient. Yeah, That's how you're going to get the best outcomes. But yeah, I really think that um, that we have a massive role to play. And I think EPs need to advocate that themselves because, you know, we're the best people for helping people to exercise and to mm. use exercise as medicine. So we need to preach it. Yep. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> Wonderful. So that was a really good overview about how MS and exercise can be beneficial, particularly from an exercise physiology point of view. I'm sure we'll get tucked into a lot more of the neurological um, conditions that you see and yeah. also a little bit more of the actual um, uh, physiological outcomes with exercise as well. And yeah, there's a lot... Sorry. Yeah. No, I was going to say it was, it's a, um exciting couple of podcasts coming up where we can tuck into the actual scientific parts behind it as well. Yeah, I, for I, sure. I think, so. I think um, another thing also, if you are in our academy, ask us some questions because sometimes I, I'm i like, oh, cool, I want to talk about this, but I forget <laughs> about the little things that might actually be super significant. So, yeah. Um, yeah, always ask open, us questions. <laughs> always open to yeah, fielding your questions to the academy um, and it spurs on to do another podcast. So, yeah, the more questions and more listeners we have than the greater impact we're having. All right. Thanks for coming in, Holly, and we'll be chatting to you again very shortly. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Body Track Academy podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and found something useful, you know what to do. Hit the subscribe button, leave us a review, and tell your friends to check it out. If you're not already in the Body Track Academy on Facebook, look us up. Join our community of exercise physiologists and access more great content.